Welcome to Counterintelligence. This is Eric LeVay. Today we're joined by national security journalist Kim Zetter, whose explosive reporting for Vice has revealed new details about American election security. Forensic News thanks our Patreons Andre Dunka, Angela Jackson, Zacharias Zskor-Kaminsky, Sasha Millstone, Craig Pierce, Jim Rice, and Greg Schneider. Support Forensic News and Counterintelligence on Patreon. Without further ado, here's the show. Kim Zetter, welcome to Counterintelligence. Thank you. Kim, it is so great to have you here. Um, your, your piece for Vice's motherboard is called uh, Critical U.S. Election Systems Have Been Left Exposed Online Despite Denials. Uh, first of all, I just want to congratulate you like this and to our audience, like this is a must read piece. And I'm not I don't you know, to those of you listening right now, you have got to read this. Uh, and, I, you know, I just before we get into it, I just wanted to kind of summarize this piece in my own words and then we'll I'll you know, leave it to you. But uh, and you tell me if this is correct, Kim. Uh, according to your reporting, uh, basically, American election systems are are online. They've been online for a long time. And uh, even as this reporting, they continue to be online. Do I have that correct? Yes. I mean, the researchers have um, are, are watching them pop offline after the story is published. But there are still problems around um, that. There's a caveat around that popping offline. Mm-hmm. Um, and also a caveat around the number that they actually found connected to the internet because we don't know if it's um, ex- if it's uh, complete. You know, I just want to uh, maybe <laughs> as a kind of editorializing for a second. This is the exact reason that we need to support, like especially long form investigative journalism, because this is just not something that it was pretty clear reading your piece that I don't think any of these companies were necessarily. Uh, uh, it's not really in their interest to this would not be known if not for you and other other journalists. So just again, we have to support uh, journalism. Uh, well, I appreciate that. But I mean, the the credit really goes to the researchers who uncovered this. I mean, they brought the information to me and I pulled it all together and worked with them to make sense of it. But they did the, the hard legwork. You're absolutely. I, I mean, yeah. I appreciate no, all yeah. the support journalism though. <laughs> no. Yeah. And, and to those researchers as well. Uh, amazing work. Um, I know I summarized it in kind of the uh, my own words, but could you maybe just take a sec and summarize uh, your piece for, for our audience? Uh. Yeah, so, I mean, for years, uh, election officials and voting machine vendors um, have been assuring the public, asserting to the public um, in news articles and in congressional hearings, et cetera, that the voting machines are not and are never connected to the Internet. And... Not only the voting machines, but the back-end critical election management systems that program voting machines and that tabulate official results, they say, are never connected to the Internet. And, you know, those words um, were repeated over and over again, particularly after the 2016 election, when there was, you know, this alarming uh, revelation that Russian hackers had been targeting online election systems like voter registration databases. So everyone rushed to assure the public that these systems weren't connected to the internet, therefore they couldn't be hacked, therefore no votes could ever be changed. And what the researchers found is that that really is not true at all, and the voting machine vendors have known this for years. They have hidden that information from election officials. They have um, couched it in um, really parsing their language um, to election officials and to the public. And so uh, yeah, I don't think that the blame completely falls on election officials because they believed what the vendors were telling them in many cases. Um, but the the fact of the matter is these systems have been connected to the Internet in some cases for years, 
um, and that made them potentially um, uh, open to manipulation and hacking. I mean, if I recall correctly, your piece said some of them could have been connected since modems started. I mean, are we going? Are we talking like twenty, thirty years here? Uh, it's hard. It's hard to say. What we what we have. The only evidence that we have right now is the configuration for a specific model of a system made by election systems and mm-hmm. software. And these are called the DS200 optical scan machines. These machines sit in precincts, and optical scan machines use full-size paper ballots that the voter marks um, by filling in a bubble or marking a line, and then they're scanned through this optical reader. And those machines are the newer version of systems that ESNS makes, optical scan machines. And those machines um, can have um, uh, embedded modems in them, if a county wants uh, to transmit results on election night. But ESNS had an earlier version of optical scan machine called the M100 that also had modeming capabilities. Um, But all we know is what the architecture is specifically for this DS200. And so what I write in the story is that it's unclear if those M100s um, had the same architecture. Um, And I'll explain what's problematic about the architecture. So if you've got a machine sitting in a precinct that has a modem in it, it's transmitting these votes on election night over a cellular network. Now, election officials and voting machine vendors will tell you that's not over the Internet. At least that's what they say publicly. Cellular network, it sounds right. It sounds right. It's going through a cellular network. That doesn't sound like the Internet. Mm-hmm. But I wrote in a story last February in the New York Times um, explaining that the cellular net- network traffic does indeed go through the Internet. Um, and... What I published with the story this week is actually a diagram that ESNS provided Rhode Island election officials. And on that diagram, it shows the modem transmission, and ESNS has marked Internet on that diagram. So ESNS has known um, that their cellular transmission is an Internet transmission. Um, I wrote it in a story last year, but election officials continue to deny or are ignorant of the fact that cellular networks do go over the internet. So they, even if they acknowledge that, they will say, well, that connection is so brief at the end of an election that it doesn't really matter. No one can get into it. ESNS will talk about all these kinds of security mechanisms that would prevent anyone from getting into those voting machines. Because if you're connecting that voting machine to the internet through their cellular modem, you're opening a pathway to get back into that voting machine. But they'll right. tell you that it's only connected for, you know, brief period. And your piece makes clear that, and the researchers, that it doesn't, it's it's irrelevant because even if it's connected for, I think it said two minutes, uh, an election could be compromised. Is, is that correct? Uh, yes. Um, but that's not, that, but that's, that's sort of like the, the, the least case scenario. And what we've actually discovered is that their worst case scenario exists. So the researchers knew, uh, after the story published uh, last year, they knew that obviously these modems are connecting over the Internet and transmitting. But they have to be transmitting to something, right? There has to be something on the receiving end um, to collect these results, these election results that are being transmitted by the modem. So they wanted to see if they could actually discover these systems connected to the Internet that are receiving the transmission through the cellular networks. And that's what uh, last week's story was about. They actually were able uh, to find these systems online. Um, And there there are sort of two parts to this, because if all you have is sort of a box on the Internet that's receiving transmitted results, 
that is a problem in itself uh, because that box can be compromised. So a couple of ways you can tra- you can um, intercept the votes that are going to that box um, server online. You you can intercept the votes that are going there and replace them with your own votes. Um, now, ESNS will say, well, the votes are encrypted and they're signed, and so there's all this authentication, and you can't do that. But we don't really know how ESNS does that securely. So no one can independently agree with right. ESNS that they do it securely. But those votes that are transmitted over the modem are unofficial results. So uh, the official results that are taken actually from the voting machines would not match in that case. Wow. But the other problem with that... But the other problem with that box that, that collects those votes is that you can use that as what we call a watering hole attack. Mm-hmm. A watering hole attack plants malware on a system that other systems connect to. And when other systems connect to that, then that malware can be transmitted down to them. So if you've got this, this box sitting on the Internet, the server, and all these voting machines are connecting to it on election night to transmit results, an attacker can compromise that box and um, use it in such a way that when those voting machines connect to it, it can transfer malware back back to them. And then you're setting up an attack for a future election. But that's not the worst of what they found. Do you want me to continue? Oh, yes. No, I'm, I'm feeling much better. And um, uh, please, please continue. So if that was all that was connected to the Internet, that would be bad enough. But in talking with ESNS um, and looking at diagrams, of that back ar- backend architecture, it turns out that ESNS doesn't just have this empty box sitting there to receive the results. Also connected to that system that's receiving results is the critical backend election system, a system that um, not only tabulates those unofficial results that come over the modem, mm. but also tabulates the official results that are taken from the memory cards at the end of the election. And there's a system uh, called election management system that also is used to do all of the other critical functions of elections. Uh, they produce the printed ballots. They uh, program the voting machines before elections. Um, all of this critical stuff that we have been told um, is not accessible to hackers because they're completely air-gapped. That is, they're not connected to the Internet hmm. and not connected to any system that's connected to the Internet. And yet, it turns out that they are. Remarkably... ESNS actually shows this on diagrams <laughs> that it has provided election officials over the years. It shows these systems connected to a firewall that's connected to the Internet. But ESNS maintains that because this firewall sits in front of these systems, the systems themselves are not connected to the Internet. And that's just a de- definition of Internet connectivity that no one else um, in the security community um, has. ESNS has developed its own definition mm. of what it means for a system to be connected to the internet and it just it contradicts what anyone, what, it, what anyone else uses to describe a connected system. This is just, uh, I was waiting for it to get worse there for a second. Uh, not that it could get much, <laughs> if there's any, did I, if I cut you off there, if there's any uh, stage five of depression, let me know. I'll, I'll wait. Uh, there is a stage five. Okay. Um, you, you know what, Kim, go ahead. You're, uh, this is, this is great. Please go ahead. Uh, there's a stage five and there's a stage six. Oh, okay. So stage stage five is that the election officials will tell you, and they insisted that even after the story published, 
But even those, even if those backend connected, even if those backend systems are connected, which they've insisted for years aren't connected, but even if they are connected, all of that infrastructure only gets connected to the internet for those a few seconds on election night and maybe a minute or so before an election to test the transmission. They say that they only get connected to the internet for this really, really, really brief period of time. Um, and therefore no one would be able to find them and no one would be able to hack them. But what the researchers found was that these systems were sitting on the internet months at a time. And in some case, at least a year, they only, they only search for these systems for a year. So we don't know um, how long they were connected prior to July 2018 when they first started doing their research. But if they were connected for a year, there's a good chance that they were connected much longer than the last year. And um, likely they were connected during the 2016 election, some of them. So that's the that's stage five. <laughs> that these systems were connected for months and for years. Uh, just barely me, I have to grab six. my whiskey. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Stage six. So ESNS will say, um, okay, maybe these systems are connected, but they're connected to this firewall, and this firewall is configured in such a secure manner that no unauthorized user can get into these back-end systems, and no unauthorized user can communicate and get data through or uh, through either way, sending or receiving through this firewall. Well, that may be the case if the firewall is configured securely, but un- um, misconfigured firewalls are one of the number one ways that hackers get into systems. Mm-hmm. The recent Capital One hack uh, that um, uh, a hacker was able to get millions and millions of uh, uh, data from Capital One was uh, because of a misconfigured firewall. So misconfigured firewalls are, are really common on the Internet. But even if ESNS had done everything right and configured these firewalls securely, if there is any software vulnerability in that firewall, the configuration doesn't matter. A software vulnerability would allow an attacker to completely bypass any of that configuration, any of those security restrictions on that firewall, and get into those backend systems. And it mm. turns out that the firewall that ESNS uses for this critical infrastructure. It's called a Cisco ASA series, 500 series firewall. This firewall had a critical vulnerability in it, software vulnerability. Cisco announced this vulnerability in January 2018 and provided a patch for it. And that's when Cisco learned about it. But we don't know how much longer, how, 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 longer, how long before that, attackers may have already known about this vulnerability and may have used it to compromise these systems. But we do know that even though Cisco released a patch for it in January, Wisconsin, for example, which was in a a critical swing state in the 2016 election, Mm -hmm. didn't patch their firewalls for six months after the patch was released. So for six months, uh, that vulnerability was publicly known. Let's put aside the fact that maybe other attackers had already known about it privately. But let's just address what it, it was publicly known in January 2018. And hackers uh, jump, they pounce on these vulnerability announcements when they become public. And they very quickly try and exploit systems that aren't yet patched. And so for that six-month period between January 2018 and June 2018, when Wisconsin finally patched those firewalls, those systems were open to an attack that would have allowed a hacker to completely bypass any protection that were on that firewall. Um, and this is in the run-up to the 2018 midterms. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, I'm going to start drinking now, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll be done by this. 
this this is unbelievable uh i i uh i just uh, that was that was stage six right <laughs> That was it. That was it. <laughs> I, I don't have any more. I don't that, have anything further. <laughs> uh, the 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 uh, you know and, and and these researchers you know I'm I'm not I can't say I'm the biggest tech guy but I do know that if a researcher can find it or as they call it I guess a white hat hacker the 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 bad guys can find it. I mean, uh, that's generally true, right? Uh, yes, I I mean the way that they found it is uh, is also very simple. You know, they looked for. Um, they looked for sort of the technical specs of this backend architecture. Mm-hmm. So it, there are documents online um, posted by counties and states uh, that provide the technical specifications of this backend architecture. Uh, particularly, there's one in Florida that's published by the Department of State there that shows that the ESNS um, reporting system for transmitting votes via modem uses the Cisco ASA firewall. It uses a particular um, uh, brand um, of uh, FTP server software mm-hmm. um, on that firewall, on the server, um, connected to the firewall, and also uses a particular uh, software um, for VPN, um, virtual private network access. And so with the knowledge of this kind of software used, the model and make of the firewall, with all of this information, the researchers basically decided to do a, a, a search of this configuration, looking for any system connected to the Internet that matched this footprint of hardware and software combination. Hmm. And they used a specialized search engine called Census that looks for connected devices. And using these search parameters um, of that hard wall and the, that software, they were able to uncover these ESNS systems connected to the internet. And so any hacker, all of this information is open source. Any hacker who, who studies the technical specifications that are posted online could have done the same search to find these systems. Uh, when I was reading your piece, I found myself thinking about, I think what for many of us defines the, uh, just the problems in this country's election history, which is the, the 2000 election. And I guess now I'm wondering, I mean, despite even the flaws that we know about, I wonder if they were hooked up to modems and some of this stuff was going on. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, we don't, we, we don't know because no one ever does forensic examination of voting machines after elections. Even when anomalies come up in elections, like what we saw in Florida, mm-hmm. we see uh, efforts to prevent investigation. You know, in the Florida 2000 case, of course, it didn't involve... Uh, specifically the voting machines, but there were, were definitely anomalies going on there. Um, and the Supreme Court intervenes and stops any investigation. And that happens over and over and over around the country. Um, we talk about being very concerned about election integrity. But when it comes down to actually investigating um, things that come up um, that show that, uh, that raise questions about the integrity of election, um, we see over and over again efforts to halt any investigation into the anomalies. You're, you're, I mean, your piece made it uh, abundantly clear that, I mean, what I what I found sort of amazing, you know, I'll, something else too, you know, I went on, so I went on ESS website and, you know, I, I see why this would, is so, for the American public, it would be so hard to know because without uh, your reporting and the researchers who discovered this, you read there's a sentence on the website that's like um, this is totally certified by you know the, the, some agency the federal government but you made clear that it's 
the machine may be, but the, the I'm, I'm sure I'm getting this wrong, but it's not. It, they were using language like a lawyer does to parse words. Uh, yes, it's not. It's really not clear how transparent ESNS is about this. So what you're referring to is that actual backend architecture, the configuration of that server um, and that Cisco firewall and all that backend system that's connected to the internet. That configuration, um, ESNS says that it's configured all of this very securely. But no one has actually ever independently looked at that configuration to see if it is securely put together. Um, the Election Assistance Commission, um, what you refer to the EAC, okay. oversees the testing and certification of voting machines. So there are testing labs, independent testing labs, that look at the voting machines and they follow a certain testing protocol to examine those machines. Um, and they've certified the machines. Um, I should point out, first of all, that, that those labs don't do very much security testing of the, even the voting machines. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to that back-end configuration, they haven't looked at that configuration at all. They've at least looked at the voting machines, but that configuration the EAC testing labs have never looked at and never certified. And so in their um, communication with states, it's unclear how transparent uh, ESNS is about this. In one document they provided to Rhode Island, what they've done is they've sort of couched this in very foggy language. They have um, a diagram of their voting machines and the part that is EAC certified and tested is in blue. And then the diagram that shows the actual transmission of results over modem and the receiving of those votes by this backend architecture is highlighted in white, not in blue. And it's not um, uh, marked EAC um, certified. What it's marked is uh, quote unquote extended configuration. So the wording is, it seems a little deceptive it's not clear if ESNS customers are aware even that that configure has not been independently examined by anyone and certified. And do I have it correct that according to your your reporting, it's actually illegal for the research? We can't get behind these firewalls because it's illegal for these independent researchers to do that? Uh, yes, that would be unauthorized access under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. So they can do a search that just goes up to the firewall and sees the firewall, but they can't test the firewall. So there's, there's a system um, that's connected to the firewall. Um, when the votes get transmitted, they get transmitted through what we call FTP software mm -hmm. um, into an FTP server. And when the researchers pull up this firewall, let's say at a county in Wisconsin, um, what they see is a login page. Um, asking for a username and password. And the voting machine, when it transmits votes, um, will supply that page automatically with that password to get in. Well, the researchers can't see if that password is, let's say, a default password that's already posted on the Internet somewhere, if it's a secure password. Maybe it's just the name of the county. You know, Maybe it's just Milwaukee County, and that's the username and password. We don't know. The, the researchers can't test that because actually testing that would put them in violation of the law. So all they can do is go up to the firewall and say, uh, it looks like something is connected here that shouldn't be connected, but they can actually do what we call a penetration test to see if it's vulnerable to um, to hacking. So there really could be like a stage 7 through 15 um, that we don't even know about yes. yet. That you. <laughs> yes. Yes. They don't know if, for instance, that um, Cisco firewall is actually patched, right? All we okay. All we know is, 
um, ESNS, they told me last year that they would be working with customers to make sure that the, the patch, the Cisco patch was applied to the firewalls. Uh, we know, for instance, in Wisconsin that it took six months to get that patch applied um, because I've, I discovered that in my reporting. But we don't know if, um, you know, we don't know if actually those patches are solidly applied. We don't know if they were applied in other states. Uh, we don't know. That's something that the researchers could test but they'd be breaking the law if they did. And so there really is no way to independently um, look at these systems. The Department of Homeland Security, if they work with, with these counties, they can now go in um, and test the systems and, and see what situa- what's, you know, what, what's the situation for them, what's the status for them. Um, but independent researchers cannot. Yeah, it's just, ama- you know, what I keep coming back to here is that there's no, and this is, in any in any field, this is always the, a a warning sign there's no transparency here zero no Uh, no and the concerning thing is that it's not in the interest of the vendors to be transparent and it's not in the interest of the vendors um to not only be transparent to the public but to their customers as well mm. i mean if they were to tell their customers that these systems are connected to the internet the customers would say well, hold on, We've, you've been telling us for years that they're not connected to the Internet. We've been telling the media and the public they're not connected to the Internet. So ESNS has to continue to maintain and insist that they're not connected to the Internet. Um, if the, someone you know, pushes them, they would have to re-architect this. And it's easier for them to connect them to the Internet this way. It's easier for them to um, uh, receive these votes and do the processing of the votes in a way that is connected than if they had to re-architect it in a more secure manner. So they've taken the um, they've taken the lesser secure route of doing this transmission. Um, first of all, I mean, security experts say you shouldn't be transmitting votes at all. You mm. should do it through the sneaker net. You should walk it in on that memory card in the way that other counties do that don't transmit votes. You shouldn't be transmitting at all. Um, but the vendors have told the counties, you want this transmission? Okay, we're going to charge you extra for that, and we'll be happy to take your money, um, and this is what you have to do for it. Um, and what they've sold them is an insecure transmission model. And, you know, when I was reading that, so it sounded like this, some of the reason for the Internet transmission is, as you said, the votes themselves are, or the official are on a memory card, but it sounds like many of these counties, the reason they want this Internet connectivity is for media purposes to get it. Is that correct? Well, that's what they'll tell you because they don't want media um, uh, writing stories that that point out the problem with this. What they will say to the media, huh. any any journalist who calls up about this and says, "Why are you transmitting your results?" The vendors and the election officials will say, "Because you, the journalist, demanded fast results from us," um, and that's just it's uh, that sort of passing off responsibility. Huh. Um, because, you know, the media will wait, like everyone else will wait. I mean, there are plenty of counties that don't transmit these results, and they come in over memory cards, and we get the results. Yes, there are voters who don't like that, let's say, um, if there are problems with memory cards, they go to bed uh, at the night of an election, and they still don't know who the winner is. Um, sure, people don't like that. Uh, people are impatient in this country. We want, we want instant everything. Huh. Um, but if, it, you know, the election officials basically set a, a foot down and say, this is the most secure manner we can do it, we are going to wait for the results to come in via memory, they can set that. You know, huh. the media and the public don't um, demand 
uh, election results come in in a, in an insecure manner. In a, sorry, in an insecure manner, mm-hmm. the election officials who are responsible for the security and integrity of those results can set the parameters for how and when we receive those results. So why, you know, that's that's fascinating. So what? Why, why haven't they done that? Why Why are these machines? I, I think people could easily wait a day. I mean, I, I don't know. Because the vendors have sold them on a quick solution. I huh. mean, this is this is an, this is a feature. If wow. you want to pay two hundred fifty dollars more for a modem, and then we'll install this backend architecture for you, and we'll supply you with all of the, these other add-ons. This is these are add-ons for the wow. voting machine vendors. It's another way to make revenue. The vendors will say, we're only supplying what our customers want. Our customers demand this from us. But there are customers, for instance, in California and New York, um, who have actually passed laws that prevent their voting machines from having transmission capability. So ESNS has actually, has actually had to produce two versions of its voting machine software. It has one version, uh, and I'm not talking about you know just removing the modem from the voting machine. Mm-hmm. They actually have to architect their system so it has no capability of transmitting and communicating results. That's to prevent someone from attaching an external modem to the system and then connecting it to the Internet. So California and New York require that ESNS provide them with a system that has no transmission capability, no connectivity capability. Um, and so ESNS has that system that it can market to counties that want that extra security. And after I wrote the story in the New York Times last year, talking about how these modems do transmit over the internet, how um, ESNS does have two separate versions, I know that there are some election officials in some states who contacted ESNS inquiring about the possibility of getting that um, that version of the system that doesn't have transmitting capability in it. There, there was such a, uh, there was such like a, I don't know, a parks and recreation aspect that I was thinking about, like, you know, like you said, uh, just some, it could be just some county election official who doesn't, they're not technical, and they, like you said, I'm sure these these ESS has great, you know, they, it's like a, they have great salespeople. Who, hey, do you want this, you know, extra modem? Sure, uh, and then we we end up, it's it's just so absurd. I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, the election officials, uh, as you point out, they, they're not tech savvy. Uh, many of them don't have budgets to hire someone on staff who is tech savvy. And even if they have someone who's tech savvy, um, that tech savvy person is not going to be security savvy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hooking up a system to a network is not the same as hooking up a network, a system, um, to the network securely. Um, security is a niche part of, um, of computer, uh, and network operations. And if you're not uh, very specially trained in secure networking, um, you're going to say, sure, let's get that modem up. Yes, let's get that back-end infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Yes, ESNS, I understand you're doing it securely. But you don't have uh, the independent capability to actually verify that it's being done securely. And so when election officials are told uh, your your voters will be happier, the media will be happy when you get these quick results, you'll be able to close your office early on election night and go home. That all sounds really good to an election official. Um, and that becomes their priority. Uh, they're not trained to think about security. Wow. And uh, you really just, I guess you have to laugh or you go crazy. Uh, you know, so 
there, there's no federal. It's voting, so there's no there's no federal uh, guidelines. There's like basically, it's kind of like a, a free for all out there, and there's no consequences for for uh, this stuff. Am I am I correct? Uh, uh, like yes, I mean, I mean, it, you know, there's a, the federal law is limited in what it can do. It can it can set some parameters for federal elections, and then um, those parameters sort of trickle down to, for local elections as well. For instance, the federal election law requires that election officials hold on and maintain, retain election materials for 22 months after a federal election. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you have a presidential election and you have reason to suspect, as we saw in the 2016, right, it takes a while for questions to come up and for um, challenges to election results to come up. And so that's why this this law exists, that you retain this material for 22 months. But what we see over and over again is that election officials don't retain things, and um, especially not logs on voting machines. These machines get used again in local elections very quickly. And so it's, it's, I don't even know if, uh, you know if there's any election dur- jurisdiction around the country that actually takes a mirror image of their voting machines and their network at the time of an election and preserves that for 22 months. Um, so even if you wanted to go back and look at um, anomalies in an election to try and find if there was any manipulation or if there was a breach or something like that, in most cases you wouldn't even have the capability of doing that because there is no, there's no, um, there's no law that requires them uh, to hold on to the logs. It's not clear that even that federal law that requires 22 months retention actually applies to computer logs um, and not just to ballots. Um, and even when election officials don't follow that law and destroy materials, um, we're not seeing any kind of repercussions for that. When I was on, when I was looking at ESS's webpage again, that uh, or ESNS, I you know I, I I just found myself thinking that myself along with most Americans have literally never heard of this company that apparently is in charge of the voting machines for, or the largest one for the whole country. I mean, who are these people who work there? I know that wasn't really part of your reporting, but in general, as an open-ended question, I mean, who, who are these executives? They are, they are. Uh, well, I mean, ESNS has an interesting background. Um, I mean, I've been reporting about this industry since 2004 mm. and ESNS was started by two brothers, uh, Bob and Todd Rosevich. And one of them actually went on to work for a competitor, Diebold. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the ESNS is based out of Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And at one time, um, it was the CEO of the voting machine company. At that time, it was called American Information Systems. Um, was actually Chuck Hagel, who mm-hmm. went on to run for the Senate and had considered running for the president. And Chuck Hagel um, resigned from his position with the voting machine company um, just weeks before he decided to run for the Senate. And in his Senate election, it was his own machines, ESMS machines, that were counting the votes in Nebraska for his uh, election. Uh. So, you know, there's been very little oversight. Um, there was no sort of sunshine and disinfectant um, applied to this industry, uh, you know, election integrity activists have done um, all of the work on this, of exposing 
these kinds of ties and things like this. Congress has done absolutely no oversight. Um, states have done a little oversight, but only when they directly um, discovered that the voting machine vendors lied to them. So California, for example, in 2004, discovered that Diebold had installed uncertified software on voting machines used in 19 counties there. And when California discovered this, they immediately decertified all the voting machines. They held hearings uh, with the with Diebold, um, and then they passed a law saying that all the voting machines in California had to have a paper trail. Um, so when we see things like that, there, you know, when something happens and a state gets angry, then we see individual states providing a little more oversight. But even that oversight was sort of a one-time thing. Um, California actually has been um, continuing to do its own testing and certification of voting machines used in that state. Um, but the other states are very lax in this regard. Um, and the, when it comes to the federal government, I mean, the federal government created this problem right. by passing a law in 2002 that gave states money to buy these machines. And then they were, they've been hands off ever since. If you want to work at one of these companies or be an executive, I'm, I, I was, I'm thinking, I've been thinking about the, I understand from a remote hacker perspective how dangerous this is, but I'm just curious, uh, do you need a background check or a security clearance to work at an American voting machine company? Certainly don't need a security clearance. Um, Presumably, you know, hopefully they do background checks on their workers, Mm. but um, election integrity activists have found uh, ESNS workers with with criminal um, backgrounds, Mm. uh, convictions um, for fraud, for... Um, uh, kickbacks, uh, a mm. lot of different kinds of activity. Um, and so, um, and there's also an open door, uh, the, a revolving door between elections offices and the vendors. We see a lot of people who work for the voting machine vendors were one-time election officials who, who purchased machines for their counties. Um, we've seen people who work for the voting machine companies then become election directors, election officials. So um, there's, like I say, it just there's been no oversight. Uh, the vendors have operated really with impunity for a long time, um, simply because no one no one has actually been looking at what they've been doing. And yeah, uh, and I, you know, is do we have any plausible explanation why uh, specifically the uh, Republicans have no or or actively are blocking election security right now? Uh, um, I, you know, I, it's, it's hard to know. I mean, they are very concerned or, um, you know, their focus is on voter fraud, right? So mm. they're very concerned with forcing voters to show an ID at the polls. They're much less concerned with, um, the integrity of election results. Mm. Um, and so their tactics of showing concern just for the eligibility of voters to vote. I mean, it's an important one, right? You only right. want eligible voters to cast ballots. That's legitimate. But their requirement that the way to do that is to force voters to show an ID, of course, um, has been shown to be um, prejudicial toward um, groups of voters that are already often disenfranchised and kept off the voter rolls. It's a way to intimidate um, voters that they know may not have IDs. Um, And so it's a way to sort of disenfranchise those kinds of voters. They show no Sorry, they show no interest um, on the other end of actually securing elections, of overseeing the voting machine vendors, of making sure that when anomalies show up in elections that they actually get investigated. 
Um, and so this one-sided concern about election integrity um, is kind of remarkable, and it does come down to really a partisan fight between the Democrats who seem interested in the integrity of the results and Republicans who seem primarily concerned with getting voters to uh, produce an ID. As you yourself said uh, in your piece, three of the sort of the states that it was, I believe it was Wisconsin, Michigan, and Florida were the I, the biggest vendors are uh, for ESS. Is that is that correct? No, these were the states that the researchers found the most number of systems online. So oh. they found systems online, ESN assistance, in t- 10 different states. But in most of those states, they only found one or two systems online. Um, but in Wisconsin, they found nine systems, nine counties. In Michigan, they found four. And in Florida, they found seven. Um Three states that flipped to Trump under uh, some which had voting irregularities that, as you pointed out again, that, uh, un, you know, trends were not uh, followed that, I mean, it is it is interesting. Uh, yes, I mean, you know, you don't want to connect dots that don't have any business connecting. But, sure. it, you know, it's those were, I mean, particularly Wisconsin and Michigan were states that, um, as you point out, had results that didn't follow um, the state's past trends. And those were also those states that the Green Party presidential candidate, um, uh, Jill Stein, had tried to get recounts in. I'm sorry, is Jill, did I get the name right? Yeah, no, you My got it. My mind is yeah, going yeah. blank. So, no, um, and, so, and so, you know, after, like, it's, like, it's like, again, like I point out, is that election officials say over and over again that, um, you know, voters have to have confidence in the election or they won't show up to vote. But as someone pointed out at a recent security conference, that that confidence has to be earned. And that confidence gets earned when you actually follow through on anomalies. And, um, you know, if someone is calling for a recount because there are possibly reasons, potentially reasons to um, question results, um, then going to court to fight that um, doesn't doesn't actually support that idea of integrity. Um, it supports the opposite, that there's something to hide, potentially something to hide. Um, so. Kim, is there a country that does get voting right that we could use as a model, in your opinion? Um, I don't know um, foreign voting systems well enough. Mm. I really focus most of my attention on the U.S. Of course. Um so I, I, it's hard for me to hold up anyone. Mm. I know Estonia likes to hold up its uh, complete Internet voting um, system, but I don't know anyone who thinks that Internet voting in the U.S. <laughs> is a good idea, and I don't know that the Estonian idea actually is secure. I know that there are people who looked at it a few years ago and found uh, security problems with it. Um, Switzerland has looked at also doing Internet voting, and um, security researchers uh, sort of eviscerated that system. <laughs> Um, by pointing out critical flaws in it. Um, so I don't, you know, the the best solution that we can have for the U.S. is a voter-marked paper ballot that is used with an optical scan machine. Now, the optical scan machine is still using software to count those ballots, look at those ballots. But if you have those paper ballots, in addition to mandatory risk-limiting audits, an audit that forces election officials to hand manually compare a certain percentage of those voter marked paper ballots against the digital tallies, 
that's our best hope for catching um, anomalies. Um, so even you're never going to have a secure voting system. As long as there's software in a voting system, there's potential, not just for hacking, but there's a potential for glitches, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want to focus just on intentional malicious behavior, but software has glitches all the time. And we see elections where the machines uh, drop votes, delete them. And um, so you want some way to recover from that in the same way with your banking, right? You get a receipt from the ATM that you can compare to your um, bank statement at the end of the month. And if there's anomaly there, you've got that receipt to back up. That's what we want in elections. We want something that is that backup um, that we can actually compare and see if there's a problem with those results. And so the best solution and the only solution we have right now is that paper ballot that's marked by the voter and a risk-limiting audit. It's so true. I mean, as you know, and I'll, and I'll just, maybe we'll just close on this. I, As an American, I, I always assume, as we all did, that my candidate may or may not win, and that's that's part of voting. That's that's what's beautiful about our system. But I never thought till recently that my candidate might win and lose, or somebody mm-hmm. might hack the results. I, yes. Or not just hack it, that the voting machine produced bad results and no one caught it or no one bothered to look. Well, Kim Zetter, I want to thank you so much for this reporting. Uh, And again, uh, just it's just invaluable. And the oh, the researchers, too. Who are they? So our audience knows. Uh, Well, there was a group of about 10 researchers. Um, They they were they had varying degrees of participation in the research. Um, the lead researcher on this was Kevin Skogland, who is, uh, he's an independent computer security consultant, but he is also on um, the uh, an advisory board for producing voting machine security standards for uh, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. So he's not, he's not sort of this outsider who doesn't know anything elections coming in and finding this. He's been working in the election space, the election security space for quite a while. Um, he's the lead researcher. The rest of the researchers uh, really wanted to stay in the background and remain anonymous. Uh, that I can understand that. Um, well, uh, you know, th- again, thank you so much, and uh, I'd I'd love to talk to you again soon next time. Um, you know, at, as any time. Sure, would ha- be happy to. Thank you for listening. Follow Forensic News on Twitter at Forensic Newsnet. Counterintelligence is at Intel Pod. My personal account is Eric Levey. Support Forensic News on Patreon. Subscribe to Counterintelligence everywhere you listen to podcasts. This is Eric LeVay, and this is Counterintelligence.